And I started really digging deep about December. And as I was digging deeper into this, Satan was just attacking me personally, attacking our family. So this is going to help me, and hopefully it will help you as well uh, as, as we go through this battle on an everyday basis. Uh, this is session one. Uh, it's titled The War Revealed. And we're going to go through eight sessions. Now, this is sort of a, a session outline right here. Today, or tonight, this evening, we're going to go over the history of the battle of spiritual warfare, the location, the enemy, um, how he attacks us. And then as you can see in sessions two through seven, we're going to dig a little bit deeper on the specific pieces of armor. And then we're going to finish up with session eight, how we use the armor in real life situations. So I'm excited about this. Uh, the study outline, as far as the series outline, is this. Over the next eight sessions, we're going to learn about how God has already secured for the believer in Christ. We're going to also discover together what, piece, what each piece of the armor is and how to put it, in, put it on. We're going to see that this armor is to be employed every day in real-life situations, and together we're going to learn to live in the victory that God has won for us in Christ. So... I can get this to work. There we go, warfare. There we go. Each session, we're going to start out with Scripture memory. And our memory verse, and we're going to come back to this so often, is in Ephesians 6.12. It says, Our battle is not against the flesh and blood, but against authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. That's from Ephesians 6.12. And we're going to start by looking at this picture. The title of this picture is Checkmate. Now, some of you guys may have seen this before. On the left-hand side, you can see a picture of Satan. He's scheming his next move. On the right-hand side, you can see a young person, anxious, nervous. When I get nervous or anxious, sweat just comes down my forehead. So the story takes place in Europe. There's a chess, there was a chess champion. Now, this chess champion, while he was on vacation in Europe, he went to several art galleries. And he came upon this picture on one of the art galleries. And he stared at it several minutes. I actually stared at it several hours. And he went to the employee of this art gallery and said, excuse me, do you happen to have a chess board and chess pieces? Well, the employee of that art gallery, looking through a lot of offices, came up and found a chess board and chess pieces. So what he did he placed that chessboard and those chess pieces right up under this painting, exactly the way it is right there. And he looked down at his board, and he looked up at his painting, and he looked down at his board and looked up at his painting, 
and then looked down at his board and looked up at the painting several times. And after several times, he started to laugh. And he, he said, Mr., I, I know that you can't understand me and hear me, but your enemy, Satan, has miscalculated something. It's you, not him, that has the final move. Now, a lot of us has been duped into thinking that the devil is winning. A lot of us has been duped into thinking that he, not us, has the final move. But this evening, I'm going to tell you this. It's us, not him, that has the final move. In fact, the true champion, Jesus Christ, has already made the final move. On the devil securing your victory forever. If you just simply play out the remainder of the game according to his directions, you're going to claim victory. Now, before we start, we've got to, I've got to ask two questions. Number one, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you repented of all your sins and made a commitment to walk in a new way of life? If you answered yes to both of those questions, like I said this morning, you're going through the greatest, you're in the middle of the greatest battle, the greatest war taking place on earth right now. Like Kyle said, this battle is spiritual. It's not physical. And you're under attack. You're under attack because when you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, when you accepted Him as a believer, Satan and his demonic forces placed you on the top of his list. So the definition, going forward now, the definition of spiritual warfare is the cosmic conflict waged in the invisible spiritual realm that is simultaneously fleshed out in the context of the visible physical realm. Now, in another words, spiritual warfare simply defined as the conflict in the invisible that affects what you're going through in the visible. It's a battle in the unseen that's responsible for the battle of the seen. So that's the definition of what is spiritual warfare. Now, to put it in, in another way, you can't see the root of the problem. You can't see the root of the war. You can't see the root of the battle. 
But you can certainly feel and you can certainly see the effects in the physical world. So, going forward, to grasp the behind this principle, you're going to have to understand that the history of the conflict called spiritual warfare. And going forward, we're going to see how God made a move and how Satan countered that. How God made another move and how Satan countered that. So to begin with, God made the first move and he created the angels. Well, we all know Lucifer in Ezekiel 28. It says, He was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty until sin found him. And we see that Lucifer, Tony Evans, called him the anointed angel. And he responded negatively to that move by God creating the angels. And what he did was he rebelled against God. And he took one-third of those with him in that rebellion. So we can see how God made the first move. Satan countered that. Well, God made another move. And we're going to see this throughout the Old Testament here. God countered that move by creating man in his own image just a little bit lower than the angels. So God moved, Satan countered. God moved, guess what? Satan's going to counter that. Satan rebelled against that move, and we see in, in Genesis chapter 3, how Satan enticed Adam and Eve to sin. So God made the move by creating angels. Satan countered that move by rebelling against, against him, taking one-third of those. God made another move, creating man in his own image. And then we see that Satan rebelled against that move by enticing Adam and Eve to sin. Well, God then countered Satan's move. We see also in Genesis 3 where God provided a redemptive covering for Adam and Eve. Why did he do that? Well, so that they could return back to the fellowship of God. Okay? Well, Satan now, in Genesis 4 we see that Satan made the next move. What did he do right there, and why did he do it? Well, we see that Satan incited Cain to kill Abel. Why? To cut off the godly line. So we can see God made a move, Satan made another move. Well, God made another move. By the birth of Seth. Now, the word Seth means placed. So this was shortly after Abel's death. 
And God placed, Seth is, is Adam and Eve's third son. So why did God place Seth right there? Well, it says, making a way for men to keep, to begin to, to calling on the name of the Lord again. So we can see God, Satan's counter, God's move right there for, for the birth of Seth. Well, Satan countered that one by luring Nimrod at the Tower of Babel into thinking he could make himself and his people as high as the heavens. Now, Nimrod built civilizations in Babylon and Assyria who would gather at the tower to build a religion in the defiance of God. Well, God's next move, he turned his gaze onto a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was a great man of faith. Why did he do that? Well, he called out a nation through him to be holy and to be set apart. Well, Satan didn't like that. So he made a counter. And you can see how we're going. It's a chess match. Move, counter, move. Move, counter, move. Move, counter, move. Satan countered that by trapping that nation into Egypt under Pharaoh's rule. So Satan countered that by luring Nimrod. God set Abraham. And then Satan countered that by trapping that nation into Egypt under Pharaoh's rule. So then God countered that by getting Moses to go to Midian and telling him to tell Pharaoh that I said, let my people go. So God grabbed Moses into Midian and placed him in position to knock Pharaoh out of the equation altogether. So we see this throughout the Old Testament. It's move, counter-move, move, counter-move. Counter so by the end of the Old Testament, we've reached a 400-year silence and nobody's making a move whatsoever. It almost, in, a, in like a, a chess match, they're staring at one another, waiting on the next move to make. Well, now we come to the New Testament. And the New Testament opens up in Matthew, I'm going to read this, in Matthew 1.16. And it says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. We see God became a man. So God reached for a special peace, and that was his own son, to go from heaven to earth. Satan didn't like that. So Satan attempts 
to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. Not one time, not two times, but three times. Jesus overcomes that in Matthew 4.10 by saying, Be gone, Satan. So he overcomes his move through the Word of God. So now, Satan then tries what he thinks is going to be his final move of checkmate by orchestrating the crucifixion of Jesus. So on one Easter morning, the final move was made. The move that Satan didn't bank on, and that was the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, it was just a setup for the final move that God would checkmate by raising Jesus from the dead. Now, during this series, we're going to go over and we're going to share with you how you can make the final move. Now, that's a little bit about the history. Now we've got to go over the location. Where is this happening? So where does this battle take place? Paul gives us the answer in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. And it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So the battles that we have in life are not physical. He said our battles is against principalities, forces, darkness located in heavenly places. So we know that now the location of these battles are in the heavenly places, which is also known as the spiritual realm. And everything that God is going to do for you is in the unseen realm. Now, I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And that says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Whatever is going on in your life is rooted in that spiritual realm. So it says in Ephesians 1 that every blessing is in those heavenly places. Now, there's times where we try to fix the physical because we don't know where our problems originate. There's times where we spend money trying to fix the physical world when we don't know that the problems originates in the spiritual world. So moving forward, we're going to have to take care of that spiritual realm instead of placing all our problems or all our concerns in the physical. 
It's wasted info, it's wasted information if you don't take care of the spiritual first. So we know now that our battles originate in the spiritual realm or the heavenly places. So the only way that we can fight against that is with weapons that work in this realm. And during this series, we're going to show you the weapons that God has, has given us to use in this spiritual realm. So the root of the war is something that you cannot see. We know now that it's in the spiritual, not the physical. But we can certainly see and feel the effects of the stuff that's going on in the physical world. So whatever has gone on, is going on, or will go on in your visible, physical world is rooted in the spiritual realm. So we know now what is spiritual warfare. We know the, the, the history of the battle. We know now where the location of the battle is. Now... It's to the enemy, okay? And it's too obvious that, that most think that Satan is a guy with a suit and horns. But like I said, wouldn't that be too obvious? His, his scheme is to trick you, is to deceive you. And he's trying to infiltrate into your life, and he's trying to infiltrate in the church. So the definition, I looked up the definition of schemes. The definition of schemes is a deception strategy. One principle is, of Satan is trying to deceive you or trying to trick you. He's the ultimate deceiver. And if you don't take the spiritual realm seriously, then there is no chance that you can find spiritual victory in your life. So we've got to make sure that we focus on the spiritual and not the physical. In Genesis 3.1, we see the first time that we see Satan in Scripture is in the form of a serpent in the Garden of Eden. Now, in Genesis 3.1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. One of the tricks that Satan tries to do is to cause you to miss the goodness of God. Satan's job is to keep you from experiencing the will of God for your life. And he's really good at it. Example, you have protective covering from God. And in order for, for Satan to get you to move away from that protective covering is for you to relocate. He knows as long as you're under God's covering... He can't get you. So he tricks you 
into relocation. And if, if he can get you to relocate, he's got you because you're no longer under the protective covering of God. As he did with Eve in the garden, Satan wants you to question the value of all the trees that God provided by getting you to focus on the tree God said to avoid. Satan is on the attack. We all know that. And just because, just because we don't see him doesn't mean that he's not there. Doesn't mean that He's not plotting against us because he is. Like any other battle, spiritual warfare is filled from strategies from good and evil. I'm going to read two verses right here one out of Hebrews and one out of Ephesians. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Hebrews 1.14 says, If you are a believer, each Christian is assigned at least one angel. That's the good. On the other side, the bad is in Ephesians 6.12, the principalities and the powers of darkness. Each Christian is also assigned a demon to them. That demon's job is to break heck and bring heck in your life. His job is to make sure that Satan has his way with you. So part of any good battle plan involves discovering the strategy of the other side, of the opponent. Now, the devil's job, Satan's job, is to watch your tape. And what I mean by that is, in basketball, I'll just refer to it as in basketball since I'm the coach. Before every game, before every time that we play, I watch film, I watch tape on our opponent. Why do I do that? Well, I want to make sure that I find the weaknesses of them and exploit them. The demonic realm your weakness he knows your sin patterns in your life their job is to find and to exploit your weakness and once we know the strategy of that enemy of Satan we will be ready to counter his moves they don't want you to figure out their schemes because why if you figure them out, then you got them. So that's, that's what this whole series is about. Trying to fight and find Satan's schemes to employ his weakness. 
Satan's battle plan involves the tactic of deception and four stages of warfare. The first stage is desire. Desire isn't bad, but Satan takes a legitimate desire and corrupts it so that we satisfy that desire through illegitimate reasons. What I mean by that is a desire for sleep is good, but laziness is a sin. A desire for food is good, but gluttony is a sin. You see how Satan twists that into making it something illegitimate. The second one, the second stage, is deception. I'm going to read Numbers 1, verse 1 and 2, and 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse, verse 1. In Numbers... It said, The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of the meeting on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male head by head. In 1 Chronicles 21, 1, says, then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Now, David decided to take a census of the nation of Israel. But was taking a census a sinful act? David succumbed right there to pride. He was deceived into thinking a census was no big deal. He didn't need God. So what was the result of that? He lost 70,000 people. The third stage is disobedience. I'm going to read out of James 1.15. Desire leads to deception, which leads to disobedience. James 1.15 says, Then desire... When it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Now, what does this progression eventually lead to? Well, the fourth stage is death. Now, the second half of this verse says, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Now, this death could be in the form of a dream, a relationship, a career, or other things. But primarily, sin produces death within the fullness of our spirits as a fellowship. Our fellowship is broken with God. So that's the fourth stage. Now, that was the attack. Now, how do we get victory? Satan may be the master of deception, but God is the master of reversal. Time and time again, Satan has pit his best weapons forward, but we see that God has countered 
Jesus has rendered Satan powerless. So that's why he can't beat you with power. He can only beat you with deception that looks like power. The event that, that most clearly illustrates this reversal is the cross. And the accomplishment of the cross through the resurrection determine the outcome of our spiritual war. Each one of us can have victory over Satan. Who is seeking now, we know that he is trying to destroy us. He's trying to intimidate us. And he's trying to deceive us. But like I said before, Satan has no more authority over you because Jesus has rendered him powerless. His only means to overcome and defeat you is through deception, making you believe that the winner of the war hasn't been decided yet. So, in Ephesians 1.3, I'm going to read that again. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We learn from this verse in Ephesians 1.3 that God, that everything that God is going to do for us, He has already done. Your blessings and your victory has already been there, are already there with your name on it, waiting for you to grab it, use them, and walk in them. So that's the victory that we have. Many believers now live defeated lives because they are unaware of this truth. Satan tries to deceive you into believing that God is holding out for you. But I'm going to read Ephesians 6.11. In Ephesians 6.11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Look at what God says over and over. In verse 11, it says, stand firm. At the end of verse 13, it says, stand firm. At the beginning of verse 14, it says, stand firm. Stay in the area that has brought you victory. For example, Tony Evans says, if it's raining all around you and you are under an umbrella, you're not getting wet, not because it's not raining around you, but because you're under cover. Your standing firm doesn't change the fact that evil is all around you. It just keeps evil from raining on you because you're undercover. The scheme of the devil is to make you step right or step left so you are no longer undercover. We are called to firmly stand, not in our own strength, but accessing the strength of God. On our behalf. 
The last part that we'll cover is about the armor. Jesus holds all things together. And if you're falling apart, if you find yourself falling apart, it's a result of you not standing firm with Him. It's, you, it's a result of you not standing firm with Jesus in union with Him. Now, we are, Ephesians 2 6 says, We are in Him and with Him. When Christ died, we died with Him. When Christ arose, we arose with Him. When Christ was seated at the right hand of the Father, we were seated with Him. And that's Ephesians 2 6. So, I'm going to read out of His book on page 37. It says, A father and his son was traveling across the wild west in a wagon one day when a prairie fire broke out. The father and his son tried to outrun the wildfire in their wagon, but they quickly realized that it wasn't going to work. The fire was coming too fast, and unless they tried something else, it would catch up to them and consume them. Much to the confusion of the son, the father turned the horse and wagon around and rushed directly back toward the fire. He took, he took them to a spot that already had been burned and yelled to his son, Jump out and stand here. Don't move. They both jumped out, but the boy became afraid as he saw the fire raging moving toward them. He wanted to run. But his father grabbed his hand and said, Don't move, son. Stand firm. But the fire is almost here, the son cried, his voice shaking with fear. I don't understand. This spot has already been burned, his dad replied. There is nothing left for the fire to grab. The fire will come near, but it cannot burn again, which has already been burned once before. The boy was safe because he stayed with his father in a place the fire could not reach. As Satan battles you in spiritual warfare, he wants you to step away from the ground that has already been burned in the spiritual realm, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus has already been crucified, and his resurrection has already secured the victory. Satan can't touch you when you stay close to Christ. If you stand firm in the center of the safest location, which is the cross, where the victory has been accomplished, you will stand victorious because Satan can't reach you there. That's good. God has given you everything that you need to see His victory in your life. What happens if we get stuck in that rain? Look at what he says in Ephesians 6.11. It says, put on the full armor of God. In verse 13, it says, take up the full armor of God. Now, the, the armor of God is our spiritual resources. When you put on the full armor of God, you'll be, a, you'll be able to handle anything that Satan throws at you. The means by which we see that victory, like I just said, is the armor of God. 
Now, Paul gives us clear instructions about the specific wardrobe that is necessary for us not only to wear, but to also when we engage in spiritual warfare. There are six pieces that we're going to study about in sessions two through seven. We're going to dive a little bit deeper in each piece. So each of the six pieces is divided into one of two categories. The first category includes the first three pieces of the armor and begins with the word with. Now, what does that really mean? Well, this means that you should wear those first three pieces at all times. The last three pieces are given to you to pick up as the situation demands. Now, the last three pieces, the words mean take them up. And regardless of the armor, regardless of the armor, notice that God is not going to dress you. He's going to provide what you need, but the responsibility is up to you for putting them on. And it's left up to us. For example, I can buy you something, I can pay for it, but it's up to you to wear it. So as, as we wind down here, next week, we're going to start focusing on each piece of the armor. And next week is about the belt of truth. So it is 547. So we'll come back about 555. And we've got a video from, from uh, Tony Evans. It's about, about 20. No matter what you are facing in your life, your ability to deal with the unseen will determine your victory in what you do see. The good news is that you're not fighting this battle for victory, you're fighting it from victory. What Jesus Christ has achieved has already guaranteed the end result. You simply have to use the equipment that God has provided every believer, these six pieces of armor. The first three, you wear all the time. The last three, you pick up as needed. But when you use all six, victory is guaranteed because victory has already been achieved. This series is designed to equip you to take advantage of the victory God has already given you in the invisible so that you can see it worked out in the visible.
of us has, have been duped in the thinking that the devil is winning. We've been duped in the thinking that he and not us get to make the final move. We've been duped in the thinking he's running the show, calling the shots, and we are puppets on his string. We've been duped in the thinking that he is the final decision maker about our joy, our happiness, our well-being, our spirituality, and all the other elements that make life work because he seems to be running the show. Well, I came to you with some good news today. Wipe the sweat off your forehead, dry your weeping eyes, and take those jittering uh, fingers out of your clashing teeth because you, not he, gets to make the final move. Now, to understand that, you have to understand the history of the conflict that we call spiritual warfare. You see, God made the first move when he created angels. Lucifer uh, reacted negatively to that move and rebelled against God, took one-third of the angels with him. God countered that move by creating man in his own image a little lower than the angels. Satan rebelled against that move by getting Adam and Eve to turn the earth over to his control. But God countered that move by providing a redemptive covering for Adam and Eve so that they could return back to fellowship with God. Of course, Satan tried to counter that move by getting Cain to kill Abel in order to cut off the godly line. Well, that's when God countered that move through the birth of Seth so that men began to call on the name of the Lord again. Of course, that's when Satan tried to counter that move through the birth of Nimrod, who built the civilizations of Babylon and Assyria. They gathered at the Tower of Babel to build a religion in defiance of God. Of course, that's when God countered that move by going to the heir of the Chaldees, finding a man named Abraham, and saying, I'm going to create my own nation that will obey. Of course, that's when Satan countered that move by getting them trapped into Egypt so that Pharaoh would not let them go. But then God countered that move by going to Moses in Midian and telling him uh, to go tell Pharaoh, I said, let my people go. And the whole Old Testament is move, counter, move, move, counter, move, move, counter, move, move, counter, move. And we're not sure who went in this game. You come to the end of the Old Testament, there are 400 silent years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Both sides are just staring at the board. But when the New Testament opens up, so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, until you get to Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, who begot Joseph, who was married to Mary, by whom was born Jesus Christ. Up until this time, God would find a man and use a man. When the New Testament opens up, God says, I'm tired of this mess. Let me come on down here and take care of this mama myself. So God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Satan tried to counter that move by tempting him in uh, the wilderness. Jesus overcame that through the use of the word of God. And then he made his final move by getting Jesus Christ nailed to a cross to forever get rid of this agent of God. But that's when God made the final move. Because early on Easter Sunday morning, a little while before day, the grave was open. Jesus Christ arose and the final move was made. The move he didn't bank on. And that move is your move. No matter what's going on in your world, that move, that move, the, the, the accomplishment 
of the cross and the resurrection was God's final move that is your move for victory. Now, I don't know what's going on in your world, your life, your struggles, your mind. No matter what it is, I'm going to share with you today and throughout this series how you use the final move. In the passage that we are introducing this with today, finally, brethren, chapter 6, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the, here's our series, the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Here it is. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. People are not your problem. Now, I know you think they're your problem because they're what you see, feel, touch, taste, and hear. But according to verse 12, whatever is going wrong in your world, people are merely the conduit for the root. They're the fruit. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The battles we have in life, whatever they may be, are not fundamentally physical in nature, flesh and blood. He says our battle is against principalities and powers and world forces of this darkness located in heavenly places. The word heavenly places means the spiritual realm. Whatever is going on in your world, your life has gone on, is going on, or will go on, or will go on is rooted first in the spiritual realm, heavenly places. If you don't know how to navigate that realm, you can't fix this realm. Spiritual warfare can simply be defined as the conflict in the invisible realm that affects what you're going through in the visible realm. It is the battle in the unseen that is responsible for the battles in the scene. Whatever is happening in the world of your five senses, flesh and blood, it has been created in a world you can't see. But if you can't navigate that world, you can't fix this world. Most of our attempts to fix this world is through using this world. But this world, flesh and blood, is not where the battle emanates from. Our battle is in an unseen realm called heavenly places. He uses this phrase uniquely in Ephesians to describe all of the Christian's activities. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, he says your blessings are located in heavenly places. Everything God is ever going to do for you is located in the unseen realm. Everything God is ever going to promise, fulfill, everything that you will ever need, that will ever come your way, has already been deposited in your account in the unseen realm, the heavenly places. He goes on in, uh, later in chapter 1, and he goes on and he says about Jesus Christ, he says in chapter 1 verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. 
He says your blessings are in heavenly places and the one who's in charge, Jesus, is seated, having risen from the dead in heavenly places. So if you, you want to get to Jesus, you got to get to where he is. And where he is, is in the spiritual realm, heavenly places. Chapter 2, verse 6, he says, and we were raised with him and seated, and, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He says, your blessings are in heavenly places. Jesus is seated in heavenly places. So where you're physically seated is not the only place you're located. You're equally located in another realm, he says, that is heavenly places or the spiritual realm. Chapter 3, verse 10. He says, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. He says that the angels are in heavenly places. Now, you need to understand, you need your angel. Every Christian in here has at least one angel that has been assigned to you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.14 that angels are assigned to believers as ministering spirits. In the spiritual realm, you have somebody who knows that realm better than you, whose job it is to operate in that realm on behalf of you. So your blessings are in heavenly places. Jesus is seated in heavenly places. You are seated with him in heavenly places. Your angelic assistance is located in heavenly places. And then in chapter 6, verse 12, the principalities and the powers of darkness are located in heavenly places. So every Christian in here has a demon assigned to you. The demon is assigned to you and his job is to make hell break loose in your life. His job is to make sure that Satan has his way with you. There is a demon assigned to you by the devil whose job it is to watch your tape. See, in football, what they do is they watch tape to find the weaknesses in the other team. They constantly look at tape because they want to exploit the weaknesses. So the demonic realm knows your weak spots. He knows what happened when you were a child that messed up your thinking, that lowered your self-esteem. He knows about the sin patterns that have developed over your life, which invite demonic presence in them. They know about the issues, the abuses uh, to you or from you that are operating within your world. And they have a job, one job, and that is to exploit your game film. They look at your game film, identify the weaknesses, and they are principalities and powers that are located in the spiritual realm. Okay, let's review. Your blessings are there. Christ is there. You are there. The angels are there. The demons are there. It seems like to me, what's happening is there. Okay? What's happening is there. The problem is it gets manifested here. All the physical world does is manifest What's happening in the spiritual world? If you are unaware of that world and you are unaware of how that world works, then all you are left is with the physical. But the problem is the physical can't fix the physical if the problem that started from is in the spiritual. So we spend all of our time, money, effort, strength, mindsets, relationships to help us do better in the physical when that's not where the problem emanated from. It emanated from a location called heavenly places. So if you want to fix what started in the spiritual that's messing you up in the physical, you got to go back to the spiritual, which is the location of its origin. Now, what the demonic world doesn't want you to know is they don't want you to know that. 
They want you to live in the world of the five senses. The Bible calls that the natural man. He wants you to live in the world of the seeing and the touching and the tasting and the hearing and the smelling. He wants you to function by five senses. He wants you to fix you using the five senses or talk to other people with five senses like you who can help fix you. Only to discover all we're doing is picking fruit and not adjusting root. We're not getting to the origin of the problem. And because we're not getting, see, if all you see is what you see, then you do not see all there is to be seen. If all you see is what you see, then you do not see all there is to be seen. It is the invisible that affects the visible. So if you want to fix the visible and physical, you must address the invisible and spiritual. Failure to address the invisible spiritual cause has led to most, much, and in many cases all of the inability to have physical, physical visible cure. Because we haven't gotten to the cause, we can't come up with the cure. He says that we're in a wrestle. We're in a battle. This battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers that want to rob us of all that God has stored up for us in the spiritual realm. He says, he wants you to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Watch this now, watch this. The strategy of the devil. Let me tell you what devils and demons don't want you to know. I am. <laughs> they don't want you to know their methodology, schemes. Because if you ever figure them out, you got them. So they don't want you to figure them out. The devil wants you to think of him with horns, a pitchfork, and a red jumpsuit. Because if he got you thinking that way about him, and you never see any horns, pitchfork, and a red jumpsuit. You don't have to take him seriously. He does not want you to figure him out. The word schemes means deceptive strategies. Deceptive strategies. Satan's one overarching, he does it in many ways, but his one, one overarching principle is to deceive trick, bamboozle. He operates by, he is the ultimate magician. He operates by sleight of hand. The Bible says that when Adam and Eve were in the garden, he came into a serpent, a snake. Why did he come into a snake? It says because the snake was the most crafty, craftiest of, of, of animals, in this case a reptile, that God had created. So guess what? He found the appropriate vehicle in order to slither into the garden in order to deceive Adam and Eve. Now let me tell you why he did that. In order for the devil to be a good devil, and in order for demons to be good demons, they need a body through which to work. See, your problem is not the invisible spiritual realm. Your problem is the vehicle it uses to get to you, including you. 
It needs a vehicle. Satan had to have a vehicle, a physical vehicle, the serpent, in order to get to Adam and Eve. The Bible talks about uh, the angel working through people as angels of light, looking like the real deal, but trickery and deception. And let me explain this. This is the principle that I don't want you to miss. His scheme is to trip, trick, trick you. He doesn't want you to see him for what he really is, so he comes looking like something else. In order to get you to move away, watch this, from the protective covering of God. Now, I'm going to get to that in a moment. He knows as long as you are undercover, as long as you're under the protective covering of God, he can't get you. So he's got to get you to relocate. So what he does is he tricks you into a relocation. If he can get you to relocate, he's got you because you're no longer under protective covering. Okay? So he tricks you to remove you like he removed Adam and Eve from the protective covering of God so that he could get them to move and to turn over their world to him. So he is the ultimate trap. He is the ultimate deceiver. He is, his schemes are designed to trick you and trap you into seeing things from his perspective. But here's the secret that he doesn't want you to know. But I'm going to tell you because God wants you to know it. And I'm going to validate it in just a second. But let me give you a heads up. The only power that Satan and demons have is the power you give them. No, no, okay. You're going to discover in just a second they have already been defeated. They've already lost. So they are losers. They have already been defeated. That's not just a song, nor is it just a saying. It is what God declares. But the problem is, well, if they're defeated, how come I'm not winning? Anything they can do, they do because you told them it was okay. You see, you have, that's why they need a body. They need something to loan themselves to them that they can work to and through to express themselves through them. The only power that they have is power that people grant them. The only reason Satan could, took over, could take over planet Earth is because Adam and Eve gave him permission to do it. They need permission from us to bring hell to us. So if hell is going on in your life, you gave him okay. You told him through sin and circumstance, through yielding to him, it's okay for you to rule my mind. It's okay for you to rule my world. It's okay for you to rule my emotions. It's okay for you to rule my will. I give you permission to tell me I'm not really a man, although I was born a male. I give you permission to tell me I'm not really a woman, although I was born a female. I give you permission to tell me I, I need drugs, want drugs, can't get rid of drugs, can't shake drugs because drugs are what keeps me going. I give you permission to tell me I need that drink, got to have that drink, can't live without that drink. I give you permission to tell me I should wake up depressed, stay depressed, go to bed depressed, wake up the next day depressed, Satan, demons. I give you permission to tell me for the next 10 years of my life, I got to live in misery and depression. My only point here is, until you've addressed the spiritual, you really don't know whether it's just physical. 
See, we assume it's just physical because it's physical. But if it started in the spiritual and you're only addressing the physical, you'll never get rid of the problem because you've given demons permission to stay at home. And once they're given permission like roaches, they are not going anywhere. Because we have decided to let them live there through their worldview, through the schemes, the deceptive programs of the devil. The devil operates by consent and by cooperation. Some people say, well, 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 some people are just too demon conscious. The problem is most of us are too demon unconscious. He says, oh, we, we wrestle against an unseen world of evil. That's Satan and demons. And you have been assigned one. Some of us got a whole platoon. <laughs> and their job is to keep you from experiencing the will of God for your life. That's their job. That's their full-time occupation. And they are good at it. You're not their first assignment. And neither am I. So, so now, we, we can't really go further unless you buy that. Everything else I say coming up is going to be wasted information if you don't buy that, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. If you don't, see, if you think people are your problem versus the fruit of your problem, then all you are address are people. If we gave the spiritual world as much a piece of our mind that we give people, because, you know, we'll give people a piece of our mind in a minute. But if we gave the spiritual world a piece of our mind, as much as we'd give the physical world a piece of our mind, we'd still have our minds. But we'd have lost our minds because we're giving the wrong thing a piece of it. And when you give so many pieces of it around, you don't have mind left to give. He says, our our, 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 the people are real. The flesh and blood is real. It's just not the root. And so he wants our consent. He needs our consent because his power is based on our consent. That's why he says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Translation, not your strength or your might. Not your strength. Why can't I get him off my back? Because you've been using your strength. And your human strength doesn't work in that realm. That, that realm, your strength can't work in. That realm can't use your strength. You aren't strong enough for that realm. Now watch this. Please notice what he says over and over. In verse 11, stand firm. The end of verse 13, stand firm. The beginning of verse 14, stand firm, okay? Somebody say stand firm. Stand firm means don't go nowhere. Hold what you got, stay where you are. Stand firm means stay in the area that has already brought victory. Stand firm. Don't, 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 don't go over here. Uh, over here is lean into your own understanding. Okay, don't, don't, don't go over there. Stay in this spot 
where victory has already been achieved. Don't go to your own victory because you're going to leave the spot. If you're under an umbrella and it's raining, it's raining all around you, but you're not getting wet. You got a good size umbrella, you're not getting wet, not because rain isn't happening around you, you're just undercover. Because you're undercover, you stay under the umbrella because you don't want to get wet. You stand firm under the umbrella, which doesn't stop it from raining, it just stops it from raining on you. All right? Your standing firm doesn't change the fact that evil is all around you, it just keeps evil from raining on you because you are undercover. But the scheme of the devil is to get you to step right or step left with the umbrella over here. So you're no longer undercover. And once you are no longer undercover, they can rain on you. Because you're not undercover. Um, uh, 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 in Western days, a father was out trying to outrun a prairie fire with his son in a wagon. And they're going real fast, but the prairie fire was going too fast and they were going to be consumed in a moment. The father, to the confusion of the son, turned the horse around and went to a spot that had already been burned. He said, jump out quickly. They jumped out and he said, now you stay here and don't move. He said, but dad, the fire is coming all around us. It's coming in all directions. He said, boy, stay here. Don't you budge. He said, but dad, I don't understand. There's fire all around us. I, he said, son, I said, stay here. But dad, why are we going to stay here? He says, because this spot has already been burnt. And since this spot has already been burnt, there is nothing left to burn. So if you'll just stay here, the fire may get in the vicinity, but it can't touch us because it's nothing for it to grab hold of. You see, what Satan wants you to do is he wants you to step away from where the fire has already been burnt. Jesus has already been burnt. Jesus has already been crucified. The resurrection has already occurred. He says, stay in that spot. Stand firm in that location. Don't leave the cross because that has already been set on fire. And if you don't leave there, that place can't be burned twice. That's called double jeopardy. study. Good start tonight. Amen. Did you learn anything? Say amen. If you did, amen. My goodness, got a lot to learn. This is good stuff. It really is. And Shane, thank you.